campuses to join us. This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Joining with us as we are launching our first Wednesday. The summer has passed. It was a good summer, actually, I thought. Pretty decent weather. June was a little miserable, but the rest was pretty good. And uh, so now we're through it all. And the fall kicks in, kids are in school, off to college, whatever, and we get to continue to grow and learn, and that's what we do on Wednesday nights, first Wednesdays of every month. And then our small groups programs kick off, the programs for the kids and the youth and stuff. So we're excited about that. Tonight, for a little bit of a change-up, I don't know whose idea this was, but what the heck. (laughs) Instead instead of uh, a teaching tonight, we're basically having a panel discussion with myself. The uh, Bishop Ed is in the house. Pastor Phil is here. <laughs> Lovely Becky's here. And we're going to uh, open it up. We've already had people uh, filling out questions here. And for those of you at the campuses, if you want to text a question, you can text it to 920-606-2507. So you can ask. Now, we're not guaranteeing we're going to take your question. <laughs> there's a lot of really... People say there's no such thing as a dumb question. I, I beg to differ. There's <laughs> some incredibly stupid questions from time to time. We'll, we'll try to get the ones that, that have the most value and, uh, and kick those around. So, I believe yeah. Benjamin has taken over. Give Hello. it up for Ben. Yeah, this is... Uh, thank you. This is where uh, this section of our leadership trusts me. Uh, so we'll see if we end the night in the same way. Uh, we've got three gungers on stage, so we'll probably get through two questions tonight. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that's great. So that's my phone number. If you have a question through the course of the night, if they uh, spark something that piques your interest, certainly text away, and we'll try and follow up with that and have more questions. But I'm the gatekeeper. We're going to start with this one. Very deep theological question we're going to start with. Uh, to get the ball rolling, and it's this. If you were sent to prison, what crime did you most likely commit? <laughs> Murder. <laughs> Just pray that's not me at the end of the night. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> Who else? What, uh, what would be your crime of, well, not choice, but the one that's going to get you there? You said prison? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a big one. Yeah. I mean, I guess we could, you know, jail, if that makes you feel better. I could see something I could do is, like, tailgate-related. Yeah, okay, like, yeah. Like, like to, Packers jail. Yeah, Packers jail. Yeah, Packers I could see jail. myself in Packers jail, <laughs> yeah, okay. for sure. Go Packers. Mine would be a crime of association for animal cruelty, I'm sorry to say. Oh. <laughs> I would, not have, I would not have injured the animals, but somebody very near and dear to my heart m- might. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
then he'd go to jail. Well, what would you go to jail for? Well, accomplice. if I was there with him, I was an accomplice, oh, accomplice to the act, fine. yes. Right. <laughs> Where's Keith? Yeah. He's with the kids. Don't worry. Don't panic. <laughs> Good. Are we missing one? We can always share if we need. <laughs> Stupidity. Yeah. <laughs> Good. All right. Uh, our next one is this. Uh, if the church burned down and you had 90 days to rebuild it, what would you build first? Uh, and I know you all are going to say the stage carpet, so that, is, uh, <laughs> that answer is off limits of what you would rebuild first. The parsonage. Yeah. <laughs> Well, if you had to build one, like one, like one, you're starting with this. I, I'd start with the sanctuary. If he had to build it. So we could have services. Yeah. That's good. Good answer. Good answer. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like we should cheer, you know, like. 100 good answer, people survey says. Survey says, yep. Sanctuary. It's good. Well, now whatever we say sounds less spiritual. Thanks, Dad. Yeah, nicer bathrooms, but that, that pales in comparison. Yeah. Like, okay. By the way, our bathrooms are horrendous here, <laughs> and we are fixing that. And all the ladies said, amen. Yes. My lovely wife pointed it out. I don't normally go in ladies' bathrooms, as is my habit. But apparently, <laughs> That's why horrendous. he's in jail. <laughs> yeah, 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 we should go back to question one. Yeah, we'll go back to the first question. <laughs> so good. All right. Uh, do you guys have a passage of scripture that resonates with you? Well, or just resonates at all. Uh, Psalm 37, verse 37, King James Version, it says, Mark, the perfect man. <laughs> <laughs> He's used that since high school. <laughs> Is that the first scripture you memorized? Mine is Galatians 6, 9. Do not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. That's good. Like, uh, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Ephesians 5? I don't remember, though. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, somewhere in the Bible. Thank you. Um, Got that part right. Besides Thanks. eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It would be that he that has begun a good work in you will perfect it till the day of Christ. That's good. <laughs> He's proving it. Mark, the perfect man. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm just going with the Bible, man. Yeah. I'm just going with the Bible. Oh, that's funny. It's good. All right, so each of you uh, keep a very busy schedule, right? all over. What, uh, what do you do to recharge in your busyness? I like to play golf. Yeah. That recharges you. It does recharge me. I've played golf. It does not recharge me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good. Yeah. It's good. Want to go? Um... <laughs> 
honestly, the thing that charges me the most isn't the thing that I love doing the most, but it's really just, I use, um, uh, they have these, they're called breviaries, they're prayer books, and they give you kind of an ordered pattern of prayer. So I do them in the morning and in the evening, and a lot of times when I do them, I don't necessarily love doing them, but what I notice is that somehow it gives a kind of tone in my, like working out, you know, which obviously when you look at me, it's not like I know a lot about that. <laughs> But, but basically the idea that when you're doing it and it maybe is not the greatest thing in the moment, something comes over your life. And that balance of morning and evening prayer for me consistently over time is what tethers my soul to kind of a place of normalcy. It depends on the season. Summer, it's a boating. <laughs> when it gets really warm, it's jet ski. In the fall, we switch to ATVs. And in the winter, we go snowmobiling. It's <laughs> good. Oh, for me, um, I get very charged up just to be around people. It gives me great energy. But in those times where um, I feel tired or have just been expending more, it really is for me being in just a quiet place. My family loves to always have sound and music, and I just like to get into a quiet place and spend some time in prayer and um, reading the Bible. I don't mean to give the super spiritual answer, but it really is just, it's a reason. was super spiritual. That's right. <laughs> so. You're safe. If you say a word like breviary, then you're getting more spiritual. <laughs> I'm still learning those big words. <laughs> I'm going to hang out a little bit more. Next time I'll answer with that word. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> um... That's a good one. Uh, how did you guys end up in ministry? Back to the first question about hiding from the police. <laughs> I think. Uh, Ed and I started really young. Yeah. Right out of high school. Virtually, we were in ministry before we even got out of high school. Yeah. Yeah. So it just, we've been doing it for a long time. And it's just kind of changed and looked different over the years. But yeah. Kind of got saved and went right into it. We originally were uh, singers. We had a band, and uh, and so we we have this. CDs out there in case. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, they're vinyls. <laughs> yeah, they would be vinyls. There were no CDs, certificates of deposit. That would have been nice. But uh, yeah, so I don't know, we just started from the get go. I, I think that you know, in my own life, I think in both of our lives and people I talk to that end up in doing this kind of thing where you're actually involved in teaching or leading within the church, there is a sense of a calling and there's a sense of um, almost um, not something you're just choosing looking at career choices, but a sense of a pull toward it and a love for the church and a love for the scriptures. And, uh, and then I, I'll never forget uh, as I began to do that, nobody ever paid attention to me, but one day when I started talking, people started listening, and I thought, oh, that's, that's odd. And, uh, but I think that that's part of the calling in your life is not only is there something distinctive that happens that the Spirit does, but that there's some evidence of fruitfulness of it. And so, I mean, I, I don't think it's a vocational choice as much as it's a calling, and it has to be evidenced by fruit that the Spirit brings, not that you force and I think we felt it very young, just very early on. We just we knew right away, somehow, some way, even without even knowing much about anything, we both sensed it very deeply. So, 
I'm still trying to lead him to the Lord. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like the movie, uh, was it a movie with Whoopi Goldberg? Where she was on the run? Sister Act. <laughs> that, that was based loosely on the life of these two, actually. <laughs> it was originally Brother Act, and that didn't work too well. So they went, threw some nuns in there. Um, yeah, I kind of grew up, uh, not kind of, I pretty much literally grew up in the church. Stephen's point says they can't hear Phil or Becky. Yeah, we're good. Uh, I texted Tim and they should be good now. Oh, we're good. They're purposely muting me in Stephen's point. That's too bad. That was the best. I had the best answers so far to go back to the tape and check those out. Um, yeah, no, I grew up, I grew up in the church, uh, with these two. So my uncle was actually, he was my pastor. And, you know, my mom and dad would drag us to church every time it was open, pretty much. And I used to complain, say, why do we have to go to church? And they'd go, oh, no, no, you don't have to go. You get to go. <laughs> I'd be like, but, but I still have to go. No, 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 you get to go. But I don't, it was very, yeah, it took me a while to understand that one because in my mind, it's like, whatever they say, I still have to go. And uh, grew up, but there was a, a time for me in high school where just, you know, one of those things or something happened in my life, big car crash, and kind of felt God slap me in the face a little bit, get a hold of me. And it was sort of at that moment that it, you know, I wanted to do this. And I, started, I remember my uncle gave me keys to the church. Um, Fortunately, I didn't burn it down. And, uh, <laughs> and I would just go in there and we'd go in there a group of us and you just lead them in prayer and we'd worship and do stuff and it was just kind of at that moment I could tell like I like this and I wanted to do this and so whatever I did I tried to find a way to sort of stay involved in a church do something for the church um and it sort of just led me to where I am now so my journey probably looks a little bit different. Um, I did not grow up in a Christian home, so church wasn't really a part of my radar until I was an adult. And sinner, I know. I was, yes, it's true. <laughs> uh, but it was shortly after I um, gave my life to, to Christ that we got involved in a church, and somebody approached both my husband, Keith, and I, and asked us if we would start teaching Sunday school. And we looked at these people and said, you don't, you don't want us. We don't know anything. And they just smiled and they said, oh, don't worry about it. We're going to give you a curriculum. You'll be just fine. And we thought, are you, uh, uh, really? They're like, oh, yes, yes, yes. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. And we found ourselves engaged in teaching, I think, fourth graders or something at the time. And it was, honestly, I feel like the beginning of our journey towards ministry because it was in those places and spaces that I feel like God started to show us the things that we truly had gifts for. And, um, and it wasn't until we were positioned within some church areas that we started to, to discover really how God was um, developing us and equipping us for the thing that he would eventually call us to as well. And um, my husband is the children's pastor here, and he came on staff 15 years ago or something like that. And um, from the time he came into the position, I just very much came alongside him and had that same love and passion for the church and for ministry. And about six years ago, I started working for the church in, in a support position to him, quite honestly. And I just look now at the last six years and feel like God has just continued to faithfully position me 
in places where I would have opportunity to continue to grow and continue to discover not only what God has gifted me to, but what it is that he's called me to. And so it's just been a really fun season and journey of, of I feel like, positioning um, that has brought me into a life in ministry. You know, Bishop Ed touched on it. He, he said, I remember when I started talking and people would start listening to me. It kind of shocked me. And, uh, and that was really true with me, too, because I'd given up to the... I, Early on, I felt like I should be in ministry, but by the time I was third, I thought, I suck at this. So I quit, you know, for a long time, and then felt like I should maybe go back, and when I started going back, all some people were responding, and it shocked me as well. So I think a lot of times, people think, well, I'm called to ministry, you know, and my question is, well, does anybody else think so? <laughs> that's a good question. That's, I mean, that's really the key, uh, because in this young lady's example, I mean, uh, you've noticed you've been seeing her more and more of her, and you're going to continue to see more and more of her because there is a unique gifting in this lady that is really quite stunning. And uh, you know, the Bible says uh, a person's gift will make a way for them, and it's, it's hard to walk around here and not notice. And we've known her for a long time, but, you know, and sometimes it's just season. All of a sudden, why now? All of a sudden, boom, there's something about Becky. Wow, what is that, you know? All around the same time that, you know, some of the other ones had left and, and uh, we were talking about getting, uh, you know, bringing in some professional, not to slam it, but I mean, there are people who are professional executive pastors and stuff like that. They're looking for jobs and positions. We thought we were going to do a big search and try and find somebody. And, uh, and, we were talking, and we kept noticing there's really something special about her. I, said, I think we have it right here, you know, so we're, we're, we're just still growing in this. But, and, and uh, you know, I think feel anybody will start noticing when not only do you feel it, but other people. And sometimes other people will feel it before you feel it. And they'll start asking you to do things and asking you to step, you know, like her, teach this class. I don't know what I'm talking about. Really? We think you should, you know? And so there's a way that God starts confirming that in people's lives. And I think most people in ministry, by and large, will say that. Met lots of people over the years, we both have, uh, you know, who, who tell you, they're announcing their call to ministry. But uh, nobody agrees with it, you know, and nobody wants them. <laughs> and... Uh, I had a friend, I think he'd been fired at least four times uh, after his fourth firing, because I always had the sense that he shouldn't be doing this. I don't want to say it to him, but uh, so I, I called him and I said, I said, so what are you going to do now, thinking he would move on? No, no, he said, yeah, I, I don't know, I'm going to find another church because I really feel called. I'm thinking, I don't think you're called. You know, so far you've been called to leave. You know, four times in a row. I mean, and he's only there a few months at each place. And cause some people, they look great at, you know, at first, and then you get to really look at him and think, oh, this guy doesn't have it. So, you know, if other people aren't noticing the gift, don't get mad about it. Just, you know, God has to do these things, and other people have to confirm the gift in you. I, I think that's beautiful. And, you know, because it takes the pressure off of people to have to feel like, you know, because everyone wants to obey the Lord. And sometimes just your love for God, you say, I'll do anything, Lord. I'll, I'll serve you in ministry. And sometimes people take that upon themselves only because they're just loving God. And to not, historically, which, of course, I'm going to speak about that. That's what I'm <laughs> educated in, uh, is history. But historically, the, up until the Reformation, the church 
always said you needed a call from God and a call from the church, a call from the people. And after the Reformation, we, they wanted to kind of just make it a call from God only. And I think in some ways that's hurt us. I think it is a beautiful thing to recognize that you can say, I really feel that God is saying something about me stepping in. And then being in a community like this, we can say, well, let's see how you do. Let's invite you to serving, and you get involved in the community of faith, whether with children or with small groups or whatever. And, and the truth is that over time, those gifts will either confirm that and the people will start calling you, saying, I want to hear more, just maybe not expressed like that, but in some ways like that. And if it doesn't, I love what Mark's thing. For a season he had that, nothing really happened, and then something happened. So even if you feel like you have a calling and nothing's happened, don't get mad at the church, and don't get mad at yourself, and don't get mad at God. I mean, sometimes things just happen in seasons, and they turn on when you just didn't expect them to, or maybe have given up on it. I think all those things are one of the ways that Jesus Christ stays the head of the church. And it's a part that people recognize. I think it's just, and that's the key. <laughs> we both those guys, I won't mention his name, but uh, <laughs> he told me some years ago, I really feel called to youth ministry. I said, really? Oh, yeah, that's, I really feel. I says, do you spend any time with youth? He goes, no. Do you know any youth? No, not really. Has anyone asked you to work with the youth? No, come to think of it, no. I don't think you're called to youth ministry. You know? I don't know. So anyway, that's me. That uh, wasn't me. But <laughs> <laughs> it was Ben. <laughs> this is actually an intervention. It, it reminds me of when I went to uh, Bible school for all three months that I was there. The uh, Good months, though. Good months. Formative months. And they, uh, uh, we sat in a circle, and they said, it was the weirdest question to ask, say, Everyone go around and tell everyone else what God told you you're going to be. I immediately thought on the face of it, this sounded like a silly question. There were two guys in my group that both, God told them both they were going to be the next Billy Graham. And like when I came around, I was like, and you two should probably get together because maybe you're supposed to work this together. But I'm sitting there thinking like, it was just sort of a thing to sort of puff them up. But I should talk about people who feel called to stuff. It's like, I know two guys that were supposed to be the next Billy Graham. I don't know if they ever made it. <laughs> we all have these stories we, we need to pray for God <laughs> amen alright uh, this is a good one uh, what's the best advice on to like how to get started incorporating a daily devotional into your life or what, what's a great place to start right that's half the battle is starting but. I thought knowing was half the oh no that's G.I. Joe yeah knowing <laughs> is half the battle Lame jokes. Probably shouldn't have a microphone. These guys are trying to figure it out. It was a show in the 80s. Cartoon. Anyone remember? No, just kidding. Well, I use a breviary. <laughs> it's really our goal tonight is to see how many times Bishop Ed can say breviary. So we've got our counter, I think. To... It, it's, you know, devotion to God one of the things I love about God is that we can love God how we love God, right? And some of you, the most wonderful encounters with him will just be in silence walking and just being open. Um, just different things that people do connect. I do think that a devotional life, it's interesting, you know, remember that the church is only 2,000 years old. And up until the 1500s, only 10% of the world could read. Nobody had Bibles, right? They only heard it when they came 
to the gathering of faith. So if Christianity was dependent upon you reading your Bible every, every day and studying it all the time, not that many people have been able to be Christians until recent uh, century or two um, or three. But so I don't think it's all wrapped up. I think that to whom much is given, much is required. And so I think if you have scripture and you can read, it's a good thing to incorporate that into your daily kind of rhythm of spirituality. The reason I love breviaries or prayer books is because they weave scripture in with your prayers. And you can do them some as, slow, as short as five minutes, some 15 minutes, and they get you through the scriptures. If you're not careful, you'll just keep reading scriptures you just like. Uh, and enjoy yourself. And, and there's nothing, I mean, it's not like that's bad, but sometimes you don't hear the whole breadth of the counsel of God. And so having something that is a plan or a breviary, something like that, can help you get through more. And, but I don't, I don't think that people should think that that thing of, of regular um, devotions is the key to Christianity. I think it's part of your faith. But you have to be true to yourself. Some of you, it's like the guy, who's the guy uh, in his presence? The, the one guy. The dead guy. Um, uh, Brother Lawrence. We don't talk anymore. Yeah. <laughs> You're dead to me. <laughs> Brother Lawrence lived in the 1600s. We're not mad at each other. We just don't talk. <laughs> Brother Lawrence worked in a monastery, 1600s. There's a book written called The Power of His Presence or The Power of Power, Something. Anyway, uh, the, the, he talks about in the book how he hated their prayer and they hated to sit in services. But he said when he went to wash the pots and pans, he said God would visit me. And he loved cleaning and he'd wash the floors and do the pots and pans and, and talked about how the presence of God would come upon him as he served. So I just think everybody's just a little different and on some level you have to own up to that and discover your own spirituality. I would encourage uh, whoever wrote that or anybody thinking that term, talk to people around you, talk to others. Uh, people have different things. Deanna has this great little thing on your phone, daily devotionals that she does, you know, invites people to do them with her and stuff like that. So there's all kinds of things. There's books. Any book by Mark Gunger is amazing. <laughs> but uh, all kinds of books. And so there's so many materials. I mean, there's really no lack, I mean, for, for what we have. Yeah. But I agree with Ed. I mean, it, it can be, look different. We've got like the Bible app is a very popular one. Um, and you can download that and then they actually have uh, little devotionals, and they'll have ones if you're just getting started, like very easy reads um, that you can get through in the morning. And that's I had talked to people before and have them encourage encourage them to download the app and start there. And it kind of takes you through little things, and you can do you know little weekly things, and it can set a reminder on your phone. You know, if you want to be reminded every morning at six thirty to oh yeah, I'm supposed to go through that, uh, so you can set that on there as well. When I was a new mom. And we were just walking into the season of potty training. I remember having a conversation with our pediatrician about it. And he had said to me, well, Becky, if you're trying to figure out what to do, talk to your friends, find out what they're doing, and then just realize it might not work for you. Try something else. And I was so grateful. And I just think that applies and speaks to what we've been talking about here as well. Just, just try something, do something, and figure out if it's what, what just really resonates with your spirit and draws a connection between you and the Lord. And if it's not doing it, then try something else. You know, just don't feel stuck by some image of what it has to look like. Very good. That's good. Uh, next one here is, how do you deal with difficult people? <laughs> well, being a difficult person myself, <laughs> uh, it's... Uh, what? 
I have unique insights in this. <laughs> Actually, I've, you know, people have been asking me, how's my, my Bell's palsy? I haven't really thought about it the last week because I've spent three days in the dentist's office as they've just been hammering the snot out of me. So I've been like in pain 24-7 for a week now. And apparently, I haven't been the most pleasant person to be around. Some people may have mentioned that. You know. I don't want to mention any names, but her initials are Deanna. And, uh, but, uh, you know, so at times we're all dealing with difficult people. Sometimes we are difficult, you know. Uh, the biggest key that I can think of, patience. And realize that what they're doing usually is triggering something in us. And I hate to say this because I don't like it. But they usually trigger things in me that I need to work on. You know, if I don't care, it doesn't bug me. The reason it bugs me is because I'm caring about something and I kind of get in the way. That's good. I, I think that what Jesus said, offenses will come. It's not a promise we stand on usually. But the way they come to us mostly are through our connections with people. And I think that the reason God calls us to move toward instead of away from difficult people is exactly what Mark says, is that somehow it calls up things in us that we don't like. We'd rather just be with people we totally agree with, people that have the same values we do, people that respond, think, plan, cogitate, you know, make decisions all the same way we do because we feel like they're normal. Cogitate? And anyone that isn't doing that, we describe in terms of badness, uh, oddness, you know, what? Cogitate? Cogitate. <laughs> think. Cogitate? Taylor Borg. It's in the brief Spanish, Spanish, I mean, shut up. He's channeling my mother. Anyway. <laughs> but, but I think that when you move toward people who are difficult, I think we get a unique view into grace. Because in some ways, the God of eternity, who is nothing but holy, moves toward us and becomes one of us and presses to everything we are. And I think that's why... God calls us to love one another so much because in loving one another, we experience what's coming from heaven. And in some way, by loving each other, we're practicing loving God. And so this is very critical because the reality is the more we get to know some people, the better we like our dogs. <laughs> True that. But, but the truth is, if you dare, it doesn't mean you have to do it overnight. It doesn't mean you don't have to process and ask God to help you. But the Spirit can help us love poured out in our hearts. And then we just need to look at people and decide to move toward them, forgive them, the patience piece. All of that comes from the divine presence in our lives. That text, Romans 5, 5, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So when you can't love people or feel like you can't face difficult people, just cry out. Say, God, I would love to hate them for you <laughs> if you want me to. But, if, if, but I'm open to you loving through me and being kind through me. And I dare you to pray prayers like that because you'll find yourself moving toward them with a kind of patience that will surprise you. And it won't just be you. And it won't just be God. It'll be you and God moving in the world. I've, I've found right on that if, if I pray for them. If someone's driving you crazy, but you pray for them. And you stop to think about 
you know, because when someone ticks, ticks you off, you think about yourself. They made me mad. They did this to me, and they did that to me, and they don't think, they don't know how I feel. They don't know how, they made me upset. And, they, and I, when I stop and I think, but what, what are they going through? And I start to think about them before me, and I have to pray. And yes, sometimes it is a little bit of a sarcastic prayer to start off with. <laughs> God's a big God. I figure he can handle it. But there's something about praying for those people that it sort of changes the viewpoint uh, for me. And so if someone's driving you crazy, just start praying for them. Yeah, pray for your enemies. Yep, absolutely. Um, I'm definitely not great at it. I mean, I guess if we're being real and dealing with difficult people, I usually walk away from the difficult situation thinking, ah, I should have said this different, or I should have done that different, or why am I so frustrated with myself now, or why am I letting them frustrate me? So I, I don't do it well. <laughs> but two things that I feel like when I step back from it and realize that I haven't maybe navigated it the way I had wished is one, what has already been mentioned, that I need to really pray for grace for myself in, in those times. But the other thing that I find is um, that I really try to ask God, okay, Lord, what is it that you want to teach me through this experience? And, and just really try to search out what it is in me um, to Pastor Mark's point earlier, what is it that, that either I need to get right or what is it that I need to learn about somebody who has this particular um, approach to life and conversation or whatever it is that's annoying me at the time that makes it difficult. That's good. All right, next one. Uh, you guys all have children, so give us a, a piece of parenting advice, specifically when it comes to faith and raising your children to, to follow Jesus, believe in Jesus. Remind them they don't have to go to church. They get to go to church. They get Where to they go to kids. church. They got to go to church tonight. Always point that out. <laughs> and, and long for the empty nest because they're on their own after that. So I, I quote the scriptures to my kids of, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother. Let us Just before bed every night. Just to... <laughs> now, you know, I really think that children... Are the we think we're given they're given to us for us to raise them and I think there's a tad of truth in that, but they, it's what they do to us. It's how they pull on us and how they form us that is often surprising. And so I think it goes both ways. And I think that as long as you um, work on being respectful and open and remember that as they grow, they take more and more space of their own ability to make choices. It's it's hard to for parents oftentimes want their children to stay eight. And even as they get into their uh, adult years, we want to keep controlling them as though they were eight. And you, you can't do that. You're not, it just isn't possible. I think that if you love them and if you're there and you're encouraging to them, they have the best shot at making the right kind of choices to be healthy human beings and be people of faith. And, and there has to be enough space, though, for them to, to roll around. And we're living in a culture where the parents aren't always the most predominant voice for their whole lives. And so sometimes kids don't. They're making choices. You're looking at as they get older, and you're going, hmm, right? That's not a choice I'd like you to make. But I, but I think that you have to trust that what the love and the encouragement and prayer will eventually get them on the right track and that they'll live fruitful lives. But I, I don't know that there's any... I don't think there's any, there's certainly not any, I, as much as we want certitude, I just don't think we can be certain with our children unless we're just masterfully controlling and they just pretend they're like what they are 
we want them to be when they're with us. <laughs> who they are when they leave us. So, uh, I started writing a series of books. We call them the treat series. First one was treat your husband like a dog, and then uh, treat your wife like a truck. Uh, and the third one in the series we are editing, literally as I speak, the lady was just next to me about it. Uh, it's uh, treat your kids like monkeys. And uh, it's a whole book, chapters, nine chapters of different ways to treat them. And the, the monkey chapter basically is, points out that you can take virtually any animal and train them to do <laughs> what you want them to do. Even the wildest of animals. Everybody can be trained, but you have to be patient, repetitive, rewards, encouragements, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so children are ultimately trainable. The thing is that they, they don't train as fast as we'd like, you know, and it just takes a lot of patience, but it can be done. It's done all the time, even with, you know, you go to SeaWorld and you, they do some hand gesture and some gigantic whale jumps out and flips and it's like, dang, I, my wife can't get me to take a garbage out, you know, so I mean, you know, so how do they do that? I mean, you know, reinforcement and stuff like that, just a pattern, constantly reminding your children they get to go to church, stuff like that. <laughs> My children got to go to church all the time, too. Amen. Um, I think, first off, I should preface this by saying I have two that are out and on their own and living for and serving the Lord, and I have two that are still very much under our umbrella and seem to be living for the Lord, but we know that the jury is out until they're, <laughs> until they're really fully functioning adults, right? So, um, so I realize that my parenting job is not done. Um, one thing that I would say is I think it is important, though, that... Um, that you certainly are keeping a spiritual tone in your home. And I feel like I grew so much in faith as my children were growing up as well. And we just took the opportunities where we could to make sure that we were speaking truth over them and love and reading the Bible and, and just doing the things of faith that we knew. Um, ideally, we'd love to see become part of their life later, that we were modeling that in our home. But most importantly, I think one of the things that we embraced in, in parenting that really does come into this faith journey as well is we would when necessary we would need to go back and ask our children for forgiveness for where we've fallen short that we would have to acknowledge our humanness and our imperfection in that journey as well not that it happened often of course but <laughs> just kidding <laughs> um, but I just think that was a big part of it too in that sense of really modeling what it looks like to walk out a, a Christian lifestyle and and we would strive to do that as our kids would come home and they'd have conflicts with friends at school or you know, we're struggling against whatever the authority was that was going on there, and we just really tried to make sure that we were tackling some of life's challenges from the perspective of, um, you know, what we felt the Bible would, would direct us to do and how to love others in that process as well. That's great. Um, what is one of your favorite things about Celebration Church? Aside from the youth pastor. <laughs> For me, just the people. Best people in the world. The weather's, Amen. The weather's, yeah. the weather is horrible, <laughs> but the people are fabulous. And, and I, I love it here. Really, there's something unique about this group of people. I don't know what it is. But, uh, and, and Eddie hates Wisconsin more than me. And, uh, and he admits it all the time. There's something really special there. You know, it's just a unique gathering of people. And uh, you make all of this possible. So it starts there. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And I would say to jump on that, I, 
it's really the family of it for me that, um, you know, we all know that people do come and go through church doors. And, um, and I understand that we, my husband and I were in a different church before we came here as well. But I just really, I love the family feel that I have. It grieves my heart when, when people choose to not be part of the family anymore, just like it does in, in my natural family when a family member divorces or does something like that. It's, um, it's sad to me because I look at the dynamics of us together as a group, and I don't even obviously know all the people and faces and names, but uh, I really do when I think of church, I just think it's just where I belong. It's my family. It's, um, it's something that... You know, I just feel like we just have such great commitment and devotion to each other, too, without knowing some of those things. So that's what I love about it. That's good. All right, I want specifically for Bishop Ed, uh, what does it mean that you're a bishop? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, let me interrupt before before he gets that, what that means for him. Um, Because some people have asked me what that means. There's a lot of people from uh, traditional church backgrounds where the bishop is, is really in charge of everything that happens. And uh, so some people were concerned that we've given up sovereignty to, uh, to, uh, to Bishop Ed and stuff like that. And first of all, we don't even think in those terms, uh, but that's not how this works. For him as a bishop here, ministering to us is advisory, spiritual, uh, directional. He's also volunteered. I don't know how much longer he can keep this up. Yeah, don't woo. <laughs> At some point, people need to get paid for what they do. But, and he doesn't want to do it long-term anyway. But he's, he has worked very, very hard for nothing uh, for months now, uh, structuring the, restructuring the church. And, uh, and we're going to do, you know, we need to do a better job of communicating with people. Uh, we're trying to figure out the best way to do that, maybe quarterly financial reports or something like that, something we have failed to do in the past. Quite frankly, nobody ever asked before until recently. People are more concerned about it. So we're answering that. But the church is headed in a direction that is the best it has ever been. Since Amen. I have been here, people think, was oh, the church in trouble? We used to be, but not anymore. So it's amazing. And a lot of that goes to him. So uh, it's not like, you know, like a Roman Catholic church or even different denominations where you got pastors, but then the bishops come in and they have the final word and everything that happens. Uh, again, nobody flexes those kind of muscles around anyway. But for those who've had that kind of concern, that's, that's not what happens here. But now you can answer what a bishop well, is. What I was going to actually wanted to say something about celebration because my relationship with celebration for all these many years that I've come in and out of here has been more just teaching. And I, one of the things I would always tell Gail, by the way, Gail is here tonight. Wave at them, honey. She's over there. Um, one of the uh, stand up, stand, stand up, Gail. Stand up. Hey, I'm the head of this house. They need to see you. Stand up, woman. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to cost me. <clears throat> Did the, ca- the campuses didn't see her? <laughs> well, the campuses didn't see her? Honey. Yeah. Stand up. They want to see. Because they don't believe he actually has a wife. C- honey, come up Because here. they wouldn't want to marry him. Let them see you. Yeah, Stand up. Just so they can see who you are. Can you see her? The camera got her. Does the camera have her? She's over there. Just hold hold the post. C- come up here by me to come come to your husband now. <laughs> <laughs> Did they? I don't know. They got her. They got her. Tough. They saw they got her. Her. Okay. So okay. That, that was not my question. <laughs> but but when I would we've come up here for years and the joy uh, and I would always tell Marcus, I mean, this is such a great place to talk. 
and the sense of communicating not just here but to the campuses and we know Stevens Point, we know Appleton, we know um, the people that are in this area and, and they're, it, it, we love you but, but not just that, there's the life that's here, there's a sense of life that's here. When we started talking in January, February was kind of where we started, you know, Mark was saying, you know, we started seeing that there were some issues that needed to be addressed and uh, were financial that we had to look at that were not, you know, there was more interest in mission than the margin that makes mission possible. And those, that means tough choices. If you're too committed to just mission, giving, 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 and not paying attention to creating margin for times that can be hard and stuff, you end up in some problems. So we began to see it, and I remember telling him, I said, you know what, some of this doesn't look good, we have to do a whole audit, we have to do this, of, of not audit of the monies, the monies are audited every year, but audit of our expending of energy and uh, our staffing and you know where we spend our money on and those kinds of things uh, in terms of priority. And I said, but you know what's so encouraging to me, even though this looks a little bleak right now, it was a little upside down, um, I said, there's such life here. And walking in the halls and going down to the kids' areas. And so there's just such life here in the services. There's such a palpable life. That's what I love about it. I love my brother. Um, you know, I know he's, I know he's an, a, a kind of an ugly man. <laughs> Actually, it was one of my questions. Why is Ed so much better looking than Pastor Mark? I but I want to tell you, the joy of going through this and all the hard choices, the, all the staff that have been involved, the some ones that were willing to step out you know, and, and make some changes. This has been just, it's, it's painful when you make decisions, but it has been full of a sense of peace, um, a sense of right, a sense of goodness. And I'm telling you, we've been in meetings just this week talking about where we are, where our finances are at, where we're redirecting things and how we're thinking about things. And it is a sense of, of excitement and joy. I mean, this, we're, this place is really in a great place. And so, yay, celebration, mm -hmm. church. Yeah. So a bishop is really just about caring for the people of God. And it's just based on, it's based out of historical uh, understanding of right in the first century. It's not clearly covered in the New Testament, but it's certainly all the documents that surround the New Testament that we have uh, copies of and historical uh, issues about. That there were, as the apostles began to die, there was kind of a, a freak out about leadership. And what emerges is the, uh, the bishops, the priests, or the pastors, and the deacons and deaconesses, these, this, these three-tiered group. And they're the ones that bring stability in the church, and that kind of rules throughout, not rules in a negative way, just keeps the church moving forward, even though the church is up and down and right and left and sometimes wonderful, sometimes horrid, as it is today, right? But it, it moves through history all the way up to the Reformation, and then it kind of moved to just having pastors and uh, some leaders within pastors. So I'm part of an organization that, is, that, that has sort of resourced back into the historical tradition and gone through certain training and certain kind of things where there is what's called an episcopacy. So I'm, I am an, I'm a bishop within this context. We train priests and pastors and deacons and deaconesses, and it's all part of a network that's trying to be faithful not only to what we understand as evangelicals and charismatics, but faithful to the historical church. So it's a little bit difficult to describe, but they're really, it isn't just something we label. It's something I've gone to school for, worked on, was formed by for years to be involved in what I'm involved in. So 
but I just try to come here and serve. And the reality for celebration is I'm bringing everything I know and everything I have to serve Mark first, to serve the community and the staff and you as a people to try to bring uh, as much grace and hope and strength as, as I can. So that's what a bishop is. Great. Thank you. That's good. Uh, a couple rapid-fire questions, one-word answers to get us out of here for tonight, uh, at least done with the panel portion. Uh, first one is this. How many kids do you have? Four. 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 Six. <laughs> yeah, all right. Next question. Which one is your favorite? I'm just kidding. Yeah. Totally, it's a <laughs> Phil. <laughs> you had to say that. Uh, what is your favorite season of the year? Fall. Spring. Summer. I don't have a favorite. I really don't. I don't have a favorite anything. I got a favorite wife, I guess. That's right, good. right now. Yeah. You are the most Three years ago person I know in my life, and you don't have an opinion on seasons? I don't know. I don't have a favorite book. I don't have a favorite color. I don't have a favorite song. I don't have a favorite movie. I don't have favorite kids. I just, I just enjoy life. I do. Not favorite food. I just, and I, apparently I'm very odd in that yeah. respect. He goes, Pastor, what's your favorite whatever? And I go, I don't know. <laughs> can tell you what I watched yesterday. <laughs> Here's the, maybe the most deeply theological question of the night uh, is this, is your toilet paper roll, does it need to go over or under? Over. 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 Was that peer if pressure, Phil, or questions. is it really an over? Oh, yeah. no, it's yeah, over. Okay, okay it's good. Over, yeah. <laughs> does anybody really question that? <laughs> Anyone an under? There's a couple. Yeah. If my, if my wife was in here, she's always putting it under. I just I, change it. When I travel with Jimmy Bratcher, he yeah. goes to the whole place and turns all the toilet paper so they go under. <laughs> and, yeah. And then when he's not looking, I turn it around back. I think now that we know that, we are done with our panel for the night. I want to give our leadership here a hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you.